is simply titled, Look Upon Jesus. Look Upon Jesus. So turn with me in your Bibles over to Numbers chapter 21. And then put a finger over in Matthew chapter 16. Numbers 21. And we're going to read. Verses 1 through 9, I think. Let's just open up in prayer. Father, we just ask right now. Oh, send your Holy Spirit. Begin stirring up our hearts to receive your word. God, we lean into you today to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. So Holy Spirit, do what you do best. And point out, shine a light on any sin in us, oh God, that needs to be weeded out, pruned, cut out. Do your work, do your work, do your work in our lives. Lead us, lead us, lead us. Lead us to the cross. Amen. All right, well, let's read Numbers chapter 21, starting with verse 1. Let's start with verse 4. Verse 4, they traveled from Mount Hor, and they, it is... uh, This is the Israelites after the exodus. They've come out of Egypt now, and they're being led by Moses. Uh, They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? And there is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. The miserable food they're talking about is the manna from heaven that came to them every day. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned (laughs) when we smoke a spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. No, I'm not going to go there. The message today is real simple, and that's one of the tactics that the enemy uses against the simplicity of God's word is confusion. So be careful when you're hearing a message or when you're reading the word that, well, that's simple. Well, that's too simple. Um, Confusion comes from the enemy. Complications come from the enemy. Uh, 600 rules to keep 10 commandments comes from the enemy. Simplicity is the way to the cross. 
Simplicity is the way to Jesus. Jesus came so that the word became flesh, dwelt among us. Why? So we could see him, look upon him, and be led by him. Simple. It's simple. Here's the sin. The sin is that, number one, they grew impatient. Impatience comes from a, a presumption. Well, they're not doing things the way I want them done. Things aren't happening the way I think they should happen. Things aren't happening when I think they should happen. And so we get or we grow or we become impatient. One of the fruits of the Spirit is long-suffering. Long fruits of the Spirit. Now, I could do a whole sermon on people who try to muster up the fruits of the Spirit by their own good nature. And it didn't say the fruit of Jessica or the fruit of Pastor Denny or the fruit of your life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And remember in Romans it says we're either led by the Spirit or we're led by the flesh. Right? So to think that you can conjure up long suffering is a lie. <laughs> you can't. There's nothing in your flesh that likes to be patient. So when you start feeling impatient, anxious, come on, there's a whole bunch of little uh, wicked cousins there that we could name, right? When you're starting to feel that, it should be a warning, 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 I'm not being led by the Spirit. Because the fruit, the evidence of following the Spirit is long-suffering. So the minute that they started growing impatient, where was their brothers and sisters to spur them on? What are you doing becoming impatient? How do you know someone's growing impatient? By what they say. Yeah, the long, <gasps> well, why don't they, you know, and if I was in charge and this is how it, well, it's just my opinion. If you want to know what I think. No, I don't. Remember the, the series of the power of life or death. The power of life and death are in the tongue. So if you're not speaking life, you're speaking death. So if you were looking at that, life or death, which one is your opinion? Ah, I know, don't say it, right? If I don't say it, it's not real. Well, if you're speaking what God is speaking, you're speaking life. But your opinion, your thoughts, what you're thinking, if it's coming from the flesh because of impatience, anxious, worrying, frustration. Let me tell you, that's one I'm battling with a whole lot lately. It's flesh. I have to, you know, it's like... You know, I really wanted 
to bring one of those big warning, you know, alarms that I could just slap once in a while. I know, don't touch this. It will tip. Slap once in a while to just go. Wah, 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 wah. You ever have a phone do that? What are, what are those alerts? What are those alerts that come across your phone in the middle of a night and your heart jumps out of your mouth, right? Up your throat, out of your mouth. And you're like, you know, almost like when Pastor Neil's phone goes off in the middle of a conversation and he's got that, that what is that called that Gabriel's going to blow or that angel's going to, that shofar at the, and you're like, Jesus, you know? That warning sound should go off when we're starting to hear those comments that say, uh, hello. That doesn't sound like a fruit of the spirit because a fruit of the spirit is long suffering. Impatience is just it really should be that Jiminy Cricket inside of you when you feel that way to stop your mouth from confirming that fleshly feeling. Because now if you're feeling impatient, anything that comes from your mouth is not going to be good. If you're feeling frustration, anything that comes from your mouth is not going to be God. It's that oh, oh, warning, warning, warning. You know, danger will Robinson. You know what is? Yeah, okay. And back over here again. Get over here. What are you doing? Don't feel that way. Where were their brothers and sisters to say the first time they heard the complaint against God? I mean, I don't even. You know, I tiptoe around a lot. I have a, I mean, let's just be honest. We all have a lot of opinions, don't we? I mean, we see things that are happening, especially us A-types, you know, where leadership's just in you. And you see somebody being slack in leadership and you're just like, well, you know, if I was in charge of that, you know. Let me tell you, I have a lot of opinions about how the Secretary of State office should be run. Let me tell you. Especially when I've been sitting there two hours. I can make this happen a lot faster, you know, and I've already pulled out my phone and in Evernote, if I was in charge, this is what I would do. And the first thing, let me just tell you, you know, would be, I would remove that, that law that says that you have to renew your plates and tabs on your birthday. Happy birthday. Pay $300. What? Who set that one up? Right? At least make it on your spouse's birthday so you have an excuse of why you don't buy them again. No, okay. Anyway, back over here again. So where was their brothers and sisters when that first complaint came out against God? Or against their leader? He says, what are you doing? What are you? Come on. God's right here. <laughs> He's encamped all over us. He's the cloud over us. He, he's the, the light, the fire that directs us. He's the food before us. What are you? We were slaves in Egypt. What are you doing complaining? I don't care what that food tastes like. It's food every day. 
And we get to sit back on the seventh day and do nothing. What? I don't even have to worry about my feet swelling from walking in the desert. My sandals wearing out on me. You know, hello? What are you doing complaining? But not only were there the, the, we'll just call them the bunch, that was complaining, the ones that were listening were equally as guilty because they were tolerating it. See, we and we do a lot of that because, well, we don't want to say anything. Well, I know it's not. I mean, I had somebody say this to me just this last week. I'm like, do you realize that slander is slander, whether the person is evil or not? If you speak against or attack the character of an individual, it's slander and it's sin. Doesn't matter if the person is Satan. It didn't say don't slander all the good people in the world. It said don't slander, period. And the person said, well, it's true. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's slander. So to just sit there and listen to it and I'm equally as guilty because I've tolerated it. Where was the brothers and sisters that could have rose up and said, that's enough. We're not going to slander our leader. That's enough. We're not complaining against God. Do you see? And it's the Lord that sent the snakes. Now, it wasn't but one chapter earlier that, see, they had a pattern of doing this, of complaining. And I love that God said later in his word, you know, all those things that happened in the past, I made sure they got into the Bible, the book, so that you could read about it and know what will happen if you follow that. They're there for examples for you. What? To repeat? Well, it seems like that's what we're doing. No, to warn us. Oh, 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 oh. Hey, <laughs> a chapter earlier, they were complaining and this group rose up. Same thing. Well, we don't have this. We don't have this. We don't have that. We don't like this. We don't like that. And then we don't have any water. What are you going to do? And then came frustration. There's other things that happened. Remember the rebellion of Korah, I think, is what it's listed as. Which is basically the same thing. Complaining. Complaining against the leaders. And then we'll go talk to other. Well, what do you think? What do you think about what they're doing over there? What do you think about this? Well, and then that one person that went to that one person that really didn't say anything because they kind of felt like maybe we shouldn't be talking about this, but they didn't say anything. Then goes to the next person and says, hey, we've been talking and we, what do you think? Oh, you know, okay. Well, now, hey, Wayne, did you know that there's a bunch of us talking now and we believe. 
And God says, you know what? Boom, done. Opens up the earth and swallows them. Was it 14,000 Israelites just swallowed up? Or that was a different one because Korah was the fire. Wasn't Korah the fire? Or did they swallow them up too? Swallowed them up. Yeah. 14,000. For some reason, these are put in there, history examples, to warn us. And for some reason, we read it like it's some bedtime story and, oh, and then they all lived happily in the end. Did the ones that got swallowed up by the earth live happily? Did the ones that were bitten by the snakes and died immediately, were they happy? No, but how could it have been stopped? By each other. Helping each other. And see, we, we've grown numb to this cultural... I don't know. It, it, it's... Complaining just becomes, it's normal. It's just what people do. Opinions. That's why I've got to where I almost detest, and I hate to use that word, but sick to my stomach over Facebook. Because it's not anything like it was first created to be. Now it's a platform for opinions and sickening god-awful statements let me just say it that way it's you know like the one statement well there was a couple of them that really turned my stomach because i do have family members and they only post and on stinking facebook so i've been on following a whole bunch of people just so i the only thing in my news feed now is you know family members but it was even family members that start making statements about god and it's like wow you are way off. And now you're perpetuating a lie. But for me to try to stand and confront on Facebook is uh, casting pearls before swine. It just it, it can't happen. Because to try to lay out the context of God's word in a little paragraph is... I mean, it causes me to pray every time I go to Facebook. But I get to where I just can't do it because it, I feel like I'm tolerating something that I should be confronting. And, and let me just say this. Because, again, we swing way to the other side. When you see an injustice or you hear an injustice, for you to stand up in righteous anger, you've heard that one preached before, righteous anger with your picket signs and declare, you're sinners, that's horrible, it's awful, and we need to pray against you, and we need to, you know, stand up against you. That's not God. That's not God at all. Well, what are we supposed to do about the huge injustices in the world? Like right now, Jacob's going through... He's writing a paper or something on, um, they had to pick these hot topics that are going on, and he picked abortion. 
Well, it seems like I'm getting flooded right now with all these different messages. So I just keep filtering them on to Jacob and, you know, empowering him with them. But, you know, I told him, I said, you know, you can't stand against it and point your finger. That's not going to win them. They're all God's children. So when huge injustices happen and you think that you're going to win them by praying against them. I mean, Michael didn't even, you know, he said the Lord rebuke you when he came up against Satan. Why? Because our job is to love everyone, pray for everyone. We are all God's children. But by the grace of God, <laughs> while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So when you get aroused by, which we all should, injustices, you know, that are happening, especially, I mean, let's just, you know, talk about the unborn. It's horrible. But for, for me to stand and just point a finger and get mad at and, and stir other people up, aren't you mad? Aren't you mad? Aren't you mad? Isn't this awful? Aren't you mad? And not empower them with the love of God to get on your knees and pray for and love. What will it change? More hatred? It'll just stir up more hatred. Hatred doesn't change anything. Praying in love changes everything. Because then you throw open the gates and let the king of glory come in. That's what they need, right? I had nothing to do with my message that I know of. Where was that going? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus... No, sorry, before Matthew 16. No, it was in Matthew 16. Jesus warns his disciples here because he had just fed the multitudes, just fed multitudes and multitudes, all these signs, healed all these that were brought to him, cast out all these unclean spirits, right? He was doing miracle. Right now. Boom, boom, boom. He was on fire. And then before he gets in the boat with his disciples to go to another place to do more, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him and demanded a sign. If you are, then show us a sign and we'll believe. You can almost hear his deep, <gasps> really? I'm sorry, the, the food, you know, the, you know, Feeding all of you from a little boy's lunch wasn't enough. You watched me heal all these people was not enough. You've seen all these demons run when I come. That wasn't enough. And so the Bible says that in verse 6 that when he got in the boat, he, you can almost see him. I'm sorry, I picture, I'm a picture-oriented person. So when I read the Bible, the pictures, you know, sketch out in my mind. You can almost see Jesus sitting in the boat over there, you know, like in the Tim Tebow, you know, or something, you know, really just try and contemplate how the ones that studied about me the most, the religious leaders, 
that know all the signs point to me. I'm standing right before them and they're like, are you? If you are, then you'll. And he turned to the disciples and he said, be careful. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. And there's other meanings, and Bill Johnson does this great study on that, and it's wonderful because it, you know, one of the gospels says the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, which that, of course, is the political system and the religious system, and, and that's wonderful teaching. But in this that I'm talking about today, in the context of what just happened and how they demanded a sign from him in the face of all these signs, the ones that should know him the best, his warning to his disciples is don't let the yeast, that little bit of doubt, come in that would make you so ignorantly unaware of who's standing right in front of you. Complaining, ungrateful, that yeast that can work its way in your life. Don't let it. Be on your guard against it. Don't let it in. They, the religious, the religious leaders, were looking everywhere except in the very face of the one they studied so hard to watch for. The Israelites were looking at everything else except for the one that was leading them. God led them into complaining on grateful hearts and being ignorantly unaware of God standing right there in front of them. Listen, in Numbers 20, I told you the chapter right before this, when they started complaining before Moses and Aaron, in verse 6, it's recorded that they turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them and he instructed them on what to do. Now listen, they turned away from them. Complain, complain. Hey, I'm not listening to this. You shouldn't even be speaking like this. As a matter of fact, I think we need to get in the face of God. <laughs> our face before God. On our face before God. Then, then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And that's the answer. The simplicity of the answer should be Uncomplicated, please. Let me just say it that way. Stop trying to complicate it. Yeah, but you don't. Yeah, but I. And well, I. The simplicity of look to Jesus. Look upon Jesus. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Jesus said in John 3, he said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him, looks upon him, turns their eyes upon him, 
may have eternal life, may be completely saved, sozoed, healed, emotionally, spiritually, physically, completely healed. Who? Those who look upon him. Simple. There's no complication to that. Well, I did that back when I was 12. Oh, so you've been living perfect since then, huh? No complaining in your mouth. No sin in your life. No, it's a continual look upon. As a matter of fact, I just finished a book by A.W. Tozer. If you haven't read this one, get it quickly. It's an oldie but a goodie. A.W. Tozer wrote a book, Pursuit, The Pursuit of God. And it's on Audible. Hello. Bonus right there that he's reading to me. Very simple book. Again, a gospel message should be simple. <laughs> he said, to look upon Jesus is to engage both your physical position. I'm complaining, talking to everybody else. To look upon Jesus is a physical, engaging your physical. Turn your head. Turn away from. Look upon Jesus. And an engaging of your spiritual resoluteness. That means to grab a hold of your heart and force it, if you will, to stay the course. It's God. God, you have my entire heart. I'm going to stay this way. Remember Peter on the water. What happened to him the minute he looked away from Jesus and looked at the waves? He began to sink. I mean, the simplicity of the word, look, look upon Jesus, should not only cause our physical body to change, our physical course, stay the course, stay the course, but also the resoluteness of a spiritual devotion. You have my heart. It's all yours. It's no more. It's not about my opinion. It's not about what I want. It's not about my oh, ideas of how things should go. It's yours. For the joy set before him. Even Jesus had to do that. He endured the cross. Fix your eyes. Come on. Think about it. Seek first the kingdom. How many times have you heard that? Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. And especially his righteousness. What does that mean? Especially keeping in right standing with God. Because he's given you everything you need for a godly life. His spirit in you. There it is again. The fruits of the spirit in you. When? His Holy Spirit is in you. When? When I stay in right relationship with him. Now I'm not trying to do, do, do all the good things on my own. It's just God in me doing it. It's just a fruit of. It comes naturally. I don't have to be patient, be patient, be patient. Oh, I just want to strangle everybody I see. That's the frustration I've been dealing with. No. Fix 
fixing your eyes on Jesus. Look upon Jesus. This is the strength of your faith. Then, as that old song declares, then, then, as you look upon Jesus, the fullness of his face, the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Paul said that in Philippians 3, 8 through 9. I consider everything else a loss compared to the greatness of knowing him as my Lord. Not as my Savior, but as my Lord. Which means he's in charge. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Doing it, doing it just so I can be good. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, I read it all the time because this is our motto, our mantra, to be a disciple of Christ. Jesus said, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You must. He still is in the disciple-making business today. He is still placed upon us because we're breathing and on this earth a commission to go and make disciples. What does that mean? Teaching them to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow Christ. And while I was looking over my message again this morning... The Holy Spirit just laid this simple thing out for me. I don't even know what to call it. And I jotted it down somewhere, probably a napkin, right, Aaron? That's what I normally grab, right? Um, jotted it down quickly because it's like, that is just good. If you break down the word disciple into three, D-I-S, C-I-P, and L-E, disciple, actually it's, What's that called in English terms? When it has, thank you, syllables. I flunked English. Three syllables. This, sipe, and L-E, lo, disciple, right? Dis, what does it mean to dis? Dis, dis, deny yourself. Dis, yourself. Dis. Sipe, C-I-P, carry your cross in peace. Cross in peace, carry your cross in peace. Sipe, C-I-P, L-E, love everyone. Disciple, dis yourself, carry your cross in peace and love everyone. How good is that? That is just good. He makes everything simple for those who lean in. To understand. But he hid things in parables. Why? I shared that with you a couple weeks ago. Because once you're made aware. Once you understand. You're responsible for what you know. 
And so he loved them enough not to lay it all out for those that aren't going to step into it. So if you're leaning into God and you want to understand, like his disciples, remember a bunch of times I told you, they would he would share a parable and then they'd come to him in private. So mm, what did that mean? That's the ones who were leaning in that he revealed like a lamp on a stand. Here it is. It's right here. Do you want it? Do you want to know? Simplicity in the word is there for all to understand. Disciple. I just love it. I'll never forget that now. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Carry your cross in peace and love everyone. And stop tolerating sin. I'm wrapping up. So, Amy, if you want to come back up. It's going to feel hard just for a couple minutes. Only because that's why when we have an operation, they give us anesthesia. Because it would really, really hurt to get cut into while you're awake. But sometimes they got to cut into you and dig out that cancer, that spot, that tumor, that junk. And get it out. Um, so right now, that's why I prayed at the beginning of this message that the uh, anesthesia of the Holy Spirit would begin brooding over you. To give you his love and his compassion. So that when his conviction comes on you, it's a willingness to open up and take it out. Get it out. But we need to stop tolerating sin. This cultural acceptance of complaining and impatience and grumbling and personal opinions is the cancer that's killing us. It's got to come out. God warns us throughout history. He will not tolerate it long. And his patience just portrays his love for you and me. That he's not putting up with it. He's being patient. Quickly deal with it. Quickly deal with it. Quickly deal with it. Because he will judge it. We need to turn our eyes to Jesus. Come on, think about it this way. When you're feeling impatient or you're feeling about complaining, it's usually about something, right? Hello? Do you ever complain about nothing? No, it's usually about something. Well, instead of complaining about it, what if you turned that that you don't like into something you do as an offering to God? I mean, what king was it? I can't remember if it was David or Solomon that said, I will not offer to the Lord anything that does not cost me something. David. So when you're doing something and it's just coming naturally and it's, eh, no big deal, I can do this. Wouldn't it be a much sweeter fragrance to the Lord for you to do something that could really grind your stone cause your flesh to why are you doing this somebody else should be doing why do you have to do this and instead putting all that down and lifting it up before the Lord as an offering to him and just doing it without complaining without grumbling without being ungrateful but offering it to the Lord 
Again, in A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God, he closed it out with this statement. He said, it is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. The motive is everything. Let a man sanctify the Lord in his heart and he can thereafter do no common act. All he does is good and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For such a man, living itself will be a sacramental act and the whole world is sanctuary. His entire life will be a priestly administration as he performs those ever simple tasks. He will hear the voice of the seraphim saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Why? When he turns those things that he could complain about into an offering to the Lord. The whole earth becomes your sanctuary. I love that. I shared that with the staff on Wednesday. I can't get that out of my mind. We are all called as his holy priests. All of us. So you are in what you're doing. A priestly act. So why wouldn't you be doing it as an offering to the Lord? And if you're doing something that can't be considered an offering to the Lord, you should be doing it. What are you talking about? Complaining, arguing, fault-finding, opinionated. I'm seeking the Lord for a word of knowledge for today. And I was reminded of what I gave you a few weeks ago. And he said, you got to speak it again. They're hearing, but they're not understanding. Your physical ailment is directly connected to your spiritual disobedience. I just heard a, somebody say again this week, and it, I think it was Randy Clark said the same thing, that he's noticed with our senses that they are directly linked to our spiritual obedience. If you have ear problems, physical ear problems, he said 99.99999% of the time, it's because God's told you something and you've shut your ears and you don't want to hear it and you're not obeying it. You got a leg problem, feet problem, knee problem. Well, he said, you know, knee problem, senses like that. It's because you won't bend to the Lord. You, Walking, you got a problem with walking? He said it's usually 99.999% of the time because God's directing you one way and you're running the other way. <laughs> Neck problem? I mean, come on, the healing room's been trained in all this stuff. It's usually connected because stiff neck, I'm not going to do that. Rebellion. Your physical ailment is directly linked to your spiritual disobedience. 
And listen, this is what we're going through right now. If a guest speaker was giving the word to you and called out your condition, you would openly confess and run to God in repentance. But because you're in a familiar place with people you know, you refuse to repent. You list a dozen excuses why you don't need to repent. Oh, I've done that before. I took care of that a long time ago. And then these venomous snakes will gather around you, other complainers and sympathizers, filling you with their poison of, that's right, you're okay, and it's all right. We love you. It's okay. You don't need to. That's right. The divine rebuke is upon the false sympathy for the sinner which endeavors to excuse their sin. It is the effect of sin to deaden the moral perceptions so that the wrongdoer does not realize the enormity of transgression. And without the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, he remains in partial blindness to his sin. It is the duty of Christ's servants, brothers and sisters in the Lord, to show the error of these ones in their peril. Those who destroy the effect of the warning by blinding the eyes of sinners to the real character and results of sin often flatter 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 size flatter themselves flatter themselves with their ability to sympathize they're working directly to oppose and hinder the work of the god's holy spirit they are lulling the sinner to rest on the brink of destruction and they are making themselves partakers in his guilt and incurring a fearful responsibility for his unrepentant actions. Many, many have gone down to ruin as a result of this false and deceptive sympathy. Now, let me tell you, there's a difference between having compassion on an individual and having this sinful sympathy that, like, Venom from snakes keeps them from repenting. You can love somebody, even empathize with them, which empathize means that I've, I've been where you are. But empathy will lead you to draw them to the cross. Not to just sit and mourn with them. And you're right. And the whole world. And it's awful. And the world stings. And that's not right. And that sh person shouldn't have done that to you. And next thing you know, you're singing Kumbaya, sitting around the fire. You know, oh, woe is me. We're the victim. And you didn't lead them to the cross. Sympathy will keep people where they're at. Empathy locks arms with, I've been there. You don't want to stay here. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't set up camp in the valley of the shadow of death with these people. And it, the warning is, you do that and you are just as much guilty for their sin as they are. 
here it is the simplicity of the cross turn your eyes upon Jesus turn your eyes upon Jesus confess your sins one to another they had to after Israel I don't know how many ended up dying from being bitten by the snake before they finally came and confessed to their leader uh, we done sin brother the Bible says confess one to another so that you'll be healed so to think that you can keep silence in this well this is just between me and God isn't biblical confess one to another why because it's that opening up of help me get this out this has been in me and it needs to come out now pray for each other that you'll be healed and repent means to change the way you're thinking you need to confess you need to repent change the way you think don't tolerate this sin anymore don't sympathize with the sinner deny yourself pick up your cross and follow Jesus this carry your cross in peace and love everyone disciple so would you stand Amy's going to lead in this last song and I just want to open up the altars and we're going to spend time, all of us this complaining is a cancer that's going to stop now it's grumbling, it's going to stop now this frustration is going to stop now we're not tolerating it any longer we're going to turn our eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face let everything else just fall away.